So glad you're with us this morning. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here at South City. It's our privilege to have you with us today. We, uh, in this new series in the book of James called Counterfeit Faith. And I don't know about you, but it just seems like right now in our country, we are such a divided people. Doesn't, doesn't it feel that way? It just burdens my soul, my heart. Doesn't feel like we're the United States of America. Feel very divided. Political parties are polarized. Racial tension seems to be higher now than it was five or years ago or so. There, there's tensions even around the church. The church is being attacked. And many churches that are trying to stand for the word of God are being attacked. It's a volatile time in our country. <laughs> Sometimes we don't make it any easier. You know, I don't, if you look at social media or ever do anything on Facebook or anything. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's so easy that somebody just says something that just kind of ticks me off. And my, in my flesh, I just want to, you know what I mean? Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. No. But there, somebody says something and just, it just makes me want to go, oh, I, gotta, I just got to gotta respond. You know what I mean? And I'm learning to, to not, I, don't, I really don't respond to that many. I don't, I don't get to, uh, to do that that much. Some of you are like, man, I do that all the time. It's awesome. I, Gemma, you actually might be part of the problem. I'm not sure. I, but um, I, there's this video. It's a really hilarious video on YouTube of these dogs. We have, a, we have a pretty big dog. And when we let her out in the backyard, she goes to our fence on this side where there are other dogs when they let their, their dogs out, and they just, I mean, bloody murder. It's just like, you think if there was no fence, they would literally tear each other to shreds. You know what I mean? And there's this funny video on YouTube where these dogs, all these dogs are fighting, and there's this gate in between them. And they're just, I mean, it just sounds awful, like they're going to tear each other apart. But then you notice that the owner pushes a button or whatever, and the gate starts to, to close in. And the dogs could easily go around the gate. And they just bark, but they bark and they're moving, staying with the gate. It's hilarious. And then the gate completely moves out of the way, and then the dog just kind of go. I'm serious. They're barking, they're barking, they want to kill each other. And then the gate goes away, there's no barrier, and they just turn around and walk away. It's hilarious. And it reminds me of us behind the anonymity of social media and the comfort of our homes how tough we are, how opinionated we are. And yet Pastor James speaks to us today, all of us, because it's our human nature to want to respond instead of listen, to react, to fight. But the thing is, is if we were face-to-face, -face, we might not do that. That's the reason we need each other in the church. You know that? It's one of the reasons we, we, we encourage people to be a part of the church because we have to be face-to-face we have to love each other. We have to care for each other. We have to deal with each other. And it causes us to love each other a lot easier than just fight each other, right? Let's look at James this morning. But before we do, I'd like to pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the letter of James. God, teach us today from your heart through James's letter to his people. As we look at it again, Lord, may we not try and create something that's not there. May we not... Uh, represent it in a different way, Lord, but may we present it the way that you planned for it to be presented and speak directly from your word 
to us today, God. Open our hearts, Spirit of the living God, so we might see what you want to show us in Jesus' precious and perfect name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Look with me in James chapter 1, verse 19. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So today we're going to finish up chapter one, but like I said last week, I'm going to take these in sort of three different chunks, okay? And we're going to kind of break these down uh, in these different chunks. The first thing I want you to see is this definitive statement right out of the chute in verse 19. He says, know this, right? He's kind of changing gears from where we were from one, one through 18. This is a definitive statement. Hey, hey. Pay attention. This is what he's saying. Know this. Uh, Everybody listen up. This is important. It's kind of the the kind of statement he's trying to make. And then he changes to this beautiful shepherding heart. My beloved brothers. He's got their attention, and now he goes back to the shepherding heart. My beloved brothers and sisters, listen. Listen. And he says to them, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, James has got this technique in which he's writing. He's borrowed it from his brother Jesus, no question. Uh, It's a technique in writing called an an aphorism. And what it is, is kind of the official definition of this is a memorable saying that states a truth. And it states it sometimes in sort of a hyperbolic way. Jesus used to do this this way. He would say, hey, if your eye caused you to sin, pluck it out. Or if your hand caused you to sin, cut it off. Right? Right? It's not that Jesus was saying, pluck out your eye or cut off your hand. What he was saying, he wants you to remember this. If there's something in your life that caused you to sin, do whatever it takes to stop. It's serious. He even equates this, don't, don't allow your soul to go to hell over your hand or an eye, right? He's, he's making it really clear here what he's trying to say. And he's trying to do this in a memorable way. This, is a, this happens a lot in wisdom books. And the reason is because in wisdom books like, like uh, Proverbs or in James, we're try- they want us to remember these things. James has already done this in the, in, the first few, in the first verse. Remember he said, count it all joy when you face trials. That would have made the people go, what? Joy is not what I feel when I face a trial. So it would have been memorable. You, know, you see what I'm saying? It's kind of a backward saying to make you go, huh. He does it again in verse 19 here when he says, be quick. To listen. We're not quick to listen, are we? That's not something that we naturally do. We naturally want to respond. We naturally want to speak quickly back. We want to give our side of the story. We want to give them a piece of our mind, right? So we, t- we typically want to respond quickly with how we feel. But he's saying, no, if you're going to be quick with something, be quick with your listening. This is speaking versus listening. We're going to see throughout uh, this message today, there's all these different contrasts. Right? So many different contrasts. The first one is speaking versus listening. Uh, He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. So normally, we want to tell our side of the story. We want to have a good comeback. You ever do that? Even after it's over, you're like, oh, I thought of the greatest comeback. I hate that when that happens, you know. James is saying, no, 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 no. You just need to stop. (laughs) James is saying, you just need to stop. When you have this feeling of a reaction, I want to react. I want to say something back. He said, what what if we just had the Spirit of God to help us just stop? 
Instead of responding, we're going to listen. We're going to pay attention. I've got a sign in my office next to my desk, and it says, the, big, the biggest communication problem is we do not listen to understand. We listen to reply. We have an office here just like if you go to an office, you got an office, right? We have working relationships just like you got working relationships. We got friendships at the office and, and discussions and, and disagreements just like you do. And this is so important for us to understand that the biggest problem in our communication is we don't listen to understand. We listen to reply. So I try to keep looking at that. No, let's listen to understand. See, the reality is we need to be so close to the Lord our relationship with God needs to be so close that when we feel that, that urge to just respond quickly, immediately back, we just need to stop. We just need to stop and let the Spirit of God help us do something spiritual instead of something natural. See, the natural thing is to respond quickly. The spiritual thing is to stop and say, Lord, help me with this. You know what it reminds me of? Remember when we studied, uh, we did that series called Stories, and we, we talked about uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah standing before the king. And he says, well, you're here. What can I help you with? Remember, the Bible says that Nehemiah does what? He prays. Isn't that interesting? Nehemiah cared more about the king of kings' opinion than he did about the earthly king's opinion. He wanted to make sure that he referenced the one that mattered most over the one that didn't matter as much, right? We need to do the same thing. We need to have a relationship with God in such a way that we're concerned about what the king of kings thinks over how we might reply, what we might say back, and we just need to stop. God, would you give me the words to say? Would you change my heart in this moment? Would you help me to filter the thing that I want to reply back in such a way that it will be consistent with what your spirit is teaching me, what your word expects of me? Help me to stop and pray. Help me to listen. Help me not to just speak. Help me to stop. You know, the thing is, is when, when you have a desire to, to respond, if your response is going to dishonor God, you know what you just need to do? You need to shut up. I'm learning this. It's taking me a little bit, to be honest with you. And I don't get it right <laughs> that often. But there are times in my life, I'm telling you, I sense this. The Holy Spirit, it's almost like a friend comes over and just kind of touches me on the chest and goes, There'd be a conversation, and I find myself kind of wanting to go, oh, no, okay. Like the Lord just goes, that's not needed. It's not needed. Your, your word right here, sometimes I want, it to make, I want to make myself look better. Can I just say something that'll make me look a lot better? Can I take the credit of something, or can I, can I show you, tell you a story about how impressive I am? The Holy Spirit is just like, shut up. And I go, huh. Because listen, shutting up is more about what you learn than what they learn. God's trying to teach you something. He's trying to teach me something. If our response to people is not going to honor the Lord and bless them, shut up. And I'm looking in the mirror, friends. It's something I'm learning to do. But here's what's interesting. Being slow to speak and slow to anger, it's not, not that James is saying we, we shouldn't speak or we shouldn't be angry. Hey, there's times where we need to speak, and there are going to be times that we're going to be angry, but what we have to do is we have to process both of those things through the filter of the Holy Spirit before we do them. Because if we don't, we can get into trouble. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. That means we can be angry and not sin. <laughs> be angry, but don't sin. 
Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Well, if you trace that backwards, this is what could happen. You could be angry and led to sin. And you could not resolve that anger that day, and it gives the devil an opportunity in that relationship. Do you see that? If you turn it around backwards, that's what can happen and what often happens in our relationships. It's not that we, we can't speak. It's not that we can't even be angry. But both of those things should be processed through the filter of the Holy Spirit. And then James gives us a reason why. He says, because anger does not produce in you the righteousness of God. If you want to know Christ more, and I hope that's the reason you're here today, you're part of the church, you want to know more, I want to be more like Christ. Anger won't get you there. That's what James is saying. And what's funny is 99.9% of the time that we have these arguments, we're not going to change anybody's mind. 99.9% of the time, we will never change someone's position. But it's that 0.01% that keeps us barking through the fence, isn't it? It's that instinctual, you know. But 99.9% of the time, it won't do any good. It won't change anybody. we got to listen, not speak. And then the next, we got to uh, be ruled by our spirit, not by our flesh, right? That, that's what even Jesus said. He said, my spirit is willing, my flesh is weak. James gives us some more basic wisdom here. When he says that anger doesn't produce righteousness, but here's what will, right? He says, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now, the image here in the Greek is filthiness is, is uh, clothing that doesn't fit. It's dirty, it's shabby, it's torn. So if I were to walk in here today and just have some rags on, you would look and go, that doesn't fit him. That doesn't look right. That doesn't fit who he is. Does that make sense? It's filthiness. And, and James is saying, put that junk off. Rampant wickedness is kind of a way of saying everything else that dishonors God, everything else that is evil, put it all away. It does not lead you to righteousness of God. It leads you away from the righteousness of God. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 4.31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. In Colossians 3.8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. You know, Christians have to take off and put on things every day. It's kind of like our clothes, you know. Every morning you're putting on some clothes, and in the evening you're taking them off. I, did anybody ever grow up under uh, Mr. Rogers? I grew up under Mr. Rogers, you know. And so we'd watch Mr. Rogers, and I never understood as a kid, why does he come home and change his clothes? What are you doing? Until I got about 40. And it makes perfect since, and I, I don't even go to work in like suits or khakis. You know, in the summer, I'll be here in shorts. But when I go home, I want to put my PJs on, you know. I want my house shoes on. I want a hoodie on. I want to relax. Christians have to do the sort, of, sort of the same thing. We've got to take things off that don't belong on us and put things on that do belong on us. There are things the enemy says, you're no good. <laughs> you think you can stand on the stage and preach to people? He said, I know you. I know what you've done. I got to take that off. Right? I got to take that off. Because my righteousness is not in what I've done. It's in what Christ has done alone. And we got to put on that truth. As believers, we got to take off and put on all the time. In fact, it's a daily occurrence. Jesus even said in Luke 9, so if you're going to be my disciple, right, 
Pick up your cross, follow me, daily deny yourself. This is a, a daily thing that has to happen as a disciple of Jesus, taking off and putting on. And then he says, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Receive with meekness. It's interesting. Meekness is a word. It means like subdued gentleness. It means, it means power under control. It means surrender. I think when, when we describe Jesus, I know that we would use this definition with Jesus. He was meek. He was, it means that he had power, but it was under control. Right? He was surrendered to the will of the Father. And so, like Jesus, we need to be surrendered to what God wants to do in our lives through the Word of God. So, he, he mentions here the implanted Word. It's the second time in this chapter that he's talked about the Word. And by the way, James talks about the Word a lot, even just in this first chapter, five or six times. In verse 18, he talked about the fact that we had been born of the Word of truth, right? Now he's saying that that Word of truth has been implanted into us. We receive that Word of truth implanted in us, which is able to save our souls. So it kind of reminds me, I don't know if you guys remember the message I preached at the first of the year, the pull the weeds, prepare the soil, and plant the seed. You remember that whole thing? It reminds me of this because uh, James is saying, put away filthiness. It's kind of like pulling the weeds. Get the junk out of your life. Take that stuff off. It doesn't lead you to God's righteousness, his character. It doesn't do it. Get the filthiness out of your life. Next, I was, was going to say, prepare the soil. And he's saying we have to receive with meekness. We've got to be ready. We can't receive it unless we have the right conditions with meekness, with surrender to the word. Lord, I surrender to your word. And then plant the seed. But the way James puts it is receive the word. Do it with meekness and receive the word. But the thing is, is not every believer values the word of God. Not every believer really values the Word of God. In fact, many of us hear the Word of God, and it goes in one ear and right out the other, and we don't ever do anything about it. In fact, I would say a large portion of the Big C Church has become so conditioned to just zone out. Some of you right now are just zoned out. It's been information written on one side of your brain that I can just sort of be here but not. I can hear something. I hear he's talking but it's not going to make any difference in your life. That's not on me. That's on you. The difference that has to be made is on you. You've got to be not only a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. That's what James says in chapter 1, 22. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and, he, and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is probably the most uh, famous text in James. For many of you, if I were to come up to you a month ago and say, hey, give me a text in James, you might go, uh... Be doers of the word, not just hearers alone, right? We might know that this is a big, this is a big one. In fact, this verse really helps support the title of our series. James is saying, don't have a counterfeit faith. Have an authentic faith. Have a faith that is real. 
And the way you're going to have that is to actually do what you hear. Don't hear it alone and do nothing. Hear it and then go do it. That gives you authentic faith, not a fake faith. He says if all we do is listen to the word and we don't live it out, we're deceiving ourselves. I think it's so interesting because there was a time in my life where I listened to the word but I didn't live it out. And guess what I thought I was doing? Deceiving you. (laughs) That's what I thought I was doing. But I wasn't deceiving you. I was deceiving me. If all we do in our lives is just hear and don't act upon what we know, what we've heard, what God has spoken to us, we're not deceiving anybody else. We're deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. I'm reminded (laughs) my children are often very much hearers of my words and not doers of my words. I don't know about your kids. But my kids, they're they're good kids. I love my kids. But there's often times where, you know, we're ready to go to bed or whatever, and we give them some directions. Okay, you guys go get ready for bed. And they, they respond, which is the full circle of communication, right? Like communication is when I say something, and then there's some sort of something comes back. There's got to be full circle in order for communication to, to take place, right? And so they go, okay. They heard me. They responded something, but they lay there on the couch, right, not doing what I've asked them to do. So, and I'm, you know, we're not paying that close of attention. A little time goes by and we go, hey, you guys go get ready for bed. Oh, okay. Again, they heard us. <laughs> they responded. The communication has happened, yet they don't go do it. And every time we mention it again, our volume gets a little louder. We get a little angrier. And about the third or fourth time, we're looking at each other like, I'm about to kill these kids. Right? We're just looking at each other like, they're responding. Something is not happening in the brain. They hear us, but they're not doing And then we go, what is the problem? But here's the deal. They're kids. And it's our job to teach them. We want to have wisdom and discipline to help them know you got to learn to listen. So when we finally say it and we get their attention and they get their ears in the bathroom to get ready for bed, then they're all angry at us and sad. Like, okay, you know. But they're kids, and here's the deal. In your faith, are you just a baby? You're just a kid that hears the truth and doesn't live it, that knows what to do but doesn't walk it out. You've not made the connection from a time together in the Word to a life lived for Christ. I say grow up, mature, Let's have a time of we saying, Lord, yes, you've taught us, and now we're going to do what you want us to do. The way James puts it, he says, it's kind of like when you look in a mirror, and, and you look in the mirror, and as soon as you walk away from the mirror, you forget what you saw. But I think it's, it's, a, little, it's a little different. It's a little deeper than just the mirror thing. I think what he's saying is when you, when you don't do what you've heard and what you know, you lose your identity. You lose your way. You lose your purpose because that's what the word gives us. It's significance in who we are in Christ and who he wants us to be. When we only hear, we don't even know what we're doing. It's like a man who looks in a mirror and walks away and forgets what he's like or what he saw. I don't even remember what I'm like or what I saw when I only hear. But when when God gives me the grace, the ability to hear and then the courage to live and do, then he says, I'm blessed. 
he, he, he kind of does this juxtaposition. He says, don't look in a mirror and walk away and forget. Instead, look into the word of God. And he uses this phrase, look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Again, so this first time he talked about the Bible was being born of the word of God. And then when we're born of the word of God, and then he implants the word of God in us, that we can, begin, we can become who he wants us to be. And now he's saying, but don't just hear it and not do it. When we hear it and do it, it means that we don't look in a mirror and walk away and forget. We look into the word of God. The image is this. We're, we're literally pouring ourselves in the Greek, pouring ourselves into the word. Do you see my position? This is submission. This is saying, Lord, I want to pour myself. I want to look intently into this word, this perfect law, this law of liberty. By the way, he's giving us two sides of the coin of what the Bible is. The perfect law, which gives us direction, right? It gives us direction, and yet this law of liberty, which gives us grace. We need both sides of the word to give us the purpose for our lives, to know who we, want, we need to be. We need that. We need to pour ourselves looking into that word honoring that word with our lives. Ultimately, James is saying when we hear and do, that's when we'll be blessed. When we hear and do, that's when we'll be blessed. And what's funny is, you know, this is, uh, James is Jesus' little brother. He's been around Jesus' his whole life, and this is the same thing Jesus said. Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Luke eleven twenty eight. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word and keep it. That's Jesus. Jesus is implying two things here. Hear the word and keep it. If I tell my kids to go get ready for bed and they never go get ready for bed, then it didn't do any good. There was no reason in telling them. It's a two-fold message. And Jesus said, you're blessed when you do both. Paul says the same thing to his Audience in Rome, Romans 2.13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. He's saying genuine faith will be a, an active life. Authentic faith will be people in service, loving, active. What, what they believe in their hearts will be lived out in their lives, not in empty words. Not in a worthless Religion, and that's the next contrast, a worthless religion versus a pure religion. That's what he says in James 1, 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what is religion? That's just a kind of a hot button word, right? What does it mean? Religion is external observable qualities of someone of faith. So if I have a faith, these are some things I do that you might go, oh, he has that sort of a faith. But the problem is you can do the things that are external and observable of faith and yet not have an interior quality that gives you the reason why you're doing it, right? In fact, he, James is saying, and this is the first uh, mention of, of the tongue here. He's going to talk about the tongue all through the book of James. But he says, you want a good test for what kind of believer you are, what kind of Christian you are? What about your tongue? He says, if you can't bridle your tongue, if you can't control your tongue, then you have a worthless religion. It's pretty serious. Y'all know I love horses. I, I love all things horses. Um, and a bridle is a thing that that 
controls the tongue, the horse's tongue. And somebody back in 1400 BC discovered if you can control the horse's tongue, you can control his head with reins. And if you can control his head, you can control his whole body. Horses, listen, they're very, they're all muscle. They're very intimidating. If you ever stood next to a horse and you look at these muscles rippling and think, if he wanted to run me over, that would not be good, right? And to think that you can control this huge beast with a little tiny thing by his tongue is incredible. And James is saying, it's the same for you. You want a good test of, of whether or not you were living a life for Christ? What if there was a transcript of everything you've said over the last week? If, we, if there was a transcript and I could just kind of go through it and go, you know, take a look at everything that, that was said, or you could see everything that I said, could you accuse me of loving Jesus? Could you accuse me of, of encouraging people and saying things that would honor God? Or would it be telling? Would it be a telltale sign of a worthless religion? James is taking it out on his people. He's saying, listen, we've got to get serious about our faith. It can't just be what we say. It's got to be who we are. Jesus said this in the same way, Matthew 15, 18. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This is a, what defiles a person. Some of you might say, well, yeah, I've got, a little, I've got a little mouth issue. I've got a little language issue. Jesus would say, no, it's not a mouth and language issue. It's a heart issue. This is a heart issue because what you say with your mouth comes directly from your inner life. And it's your inner life that gives you this faith, that we act out of this inner life. And if your mouth destroys it, then all of the things that are observable and external are worthless. So what is an authentic faith? What is a faith that is uh, something that would honor God in this way? Well, he tells us in uh, James 1, verse 27. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Again, so religion being external, observable qualities of faith, they must be pure and undefiled before God. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, God will only accept what's pure and undefiled. He won't accept anything else. So when you do those things that are external and observable, they've got to be something that God will accept. They've got to be done from a pure place, selfless, giving, loving place, undefiled, unstained, with no residue of the world. God only accepts these things. And what are those things? He gets real specific. And James here shows us the Father's heart. It's like he kind of pulls back the curtain and goes, look at God's heart. And you know what it is? It's to care for orphans and widows. Those, and not just them, those in need, the marginalized, those that can't help themselves. This is the heart of God. In fact, Jesus even preaches a very, very strong message in Matthew 25. I encourage you to go look over Matthew 25. It's very interesting. Jesus preaches this message about how well we're caring for these type of people. He even applies himself. He says, listen, I was hungry and you fed me. He puts himself in the story. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the people say, Lord, when were you hungry or when were you thirsty or when were you in prison? He says, when you did these things to the least of these, you've done it unto me. 
But then Jesus changes his tune and says, but there's plenty of people who they didn't give food and they didn't give drink and they didn't go to prison. And then he begins to talk about heaven and hell. Now, is Jesus saying we need to do these things so that we can go to heaven? No. But what he is saying is that the process would be our saving relationship with him would give us the reason why to serve people. And when we serve people, it's showing the world that we love Jesus. When it's in that order, when we honor him, we love him, we are obedient to him, then to be obedient means to do what he asks us to do. And when we do these things for the least of these, we imitate the Father's heart. This is what it says in Psalm 68.5, Father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. And when we step into that role of care, we're saying, I'm going to imitate God. Do you know that's the very definition of Christian? Christian means little Christ. So when we step into the role of the things that matter so much to the heart of God, we're saying, I want to be a little, little Christ serving this world the way I've seen him serve. Recently, we came to work. <clears throat> and there was a woman here who had slept next to our building. And it was one of the coldest nights we've had this year. It's in the 20s. And it messed me up. Um, Delis brought her inside. We gave her some coffee. She had a moving blanket. She was able to warm up and sleep for several hours. And by about lunchtime, we went to check on her again, gave her another cup of coffee, gave her some things to eat, tried to take her to a place that could care for her. And she was not all right in the head. You know what I'm saying? She, she was struggling with some things. She was either very drugged out or she had some mental issues. Regardless, my heart was broken. And I told my team and I told our elders, I said, guys, it's unacceptable for us to come to church and find somebody frozen on our property. That's unacceptable. That cannot happen. And I don't know what that means for us as a church. But that cannot happen. Would you agree? So at some point, we've got to make some changes and we've got to do something. I don't know what. We've got to work with uh, some organizations who do that. I, I don't know what we're going to do, but I want you to know we're going to be looking into what it would take for on certain nights at a certain temperature to open part of our buildings to care for those who need it most because a frozen person on our property is unacceptable in God's heart and in ours but it's hard we don't know how to do that we don't know all the specifics of it but we're going to find out I believe that matters to the Lord do you know that there are uh, a one million around a million churches in the United States and around a half a million foster children in the foster care system now, when I say that, does your heart drop like mine? A million churches, half a million kids in the foster care system. And yet the Lord is saying through James, pure religion is to care for orphans and widows. What have we not done? If, if just every other church took one child, we could eradicate the foster care system. But it's because we've only been hearers and not doers of the word that that problem exists. And I, it's not easy. Listen, hear me saying this. It's not easy. I'm not trying to simplify something that is a very difficult issue, but I am saying we can do something. 
Let us be about it. Let's not just hear. Let's not just sit around and pat each other on the back. Let's change the world. One little life at a time. One lady on our property at a time. Whatever it takes, this is what God is calling his church to do and to be. One last thing in this text. He says, care for orphans and widows and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What he's saying here is, as believers, we have to persevere in a way that we're honoring Christ through his word. We're not just hearing it, we're doing it. And some of that doing is actually caring for those who need it most and can never repay it again. But to persevere in such a way, and he's talking about holiness. We don't talk about holiness that much anymore. And trust me, I'm, I'm maybe the most grace-giving person I know. I love grace because I need so much of it. But there's an aspect of our lives in Christ where we need to say, Lord, help me to be obedient to you, to honor you with how I live, to stay unstained from this world through confession, through my friends, through relationships, through the church. Help us to walk in such a way that we honor you with how we live, to stay unstained from the world. That's pure religion in God's eyes through James. Listen, counterfeit faith, title of our series, this is hearing the word of God and doing nothing with it. That's a counterfeit faith. It's worthless. It's like me handing you a $100 bill and you're going, wow, and you try to spend it and they go, nope, not here. It doesn't do any good. But authentic faith, a faith that is real is a faith that would be quick to hear, to listen, slow to speak, being controlled by the Holy Spirit, filtering the things that, that, that we want to res respond with, filtering them through the Holy Spirit, being slow to anger, being controlled by the Holy Spirit, not by our flesh, hearing God's word and doing it. Hearing it and obeying it and living by it and then having a pure religion of serving those who need it most and keeping ourselves unstained from the world. This is James's message in the second half of chapter one. It's my prayer that, you know, we be a church that uh, is serious about what God wants us to be, who he wants us to be, doing what he wants us to do. There was a season, like I said, in my life that uh, I really only cared about um, presentation. If I, could, if I could fool you enough to think I was doing something good, that was good enough for me. And my religion was worthless. My faith was worthless. And God changed my heart and my life. He's helping me to understand that I just need to shut up sometimes. But I need to be true to his word and to be obedient when I hear it. And sometimes that means leading me into places that are difficult, not easy, and as a church, we're going to be entering some of those conversations. How do we help more than we are? God, how would you lead us to make a difference in the lives of people who need it most right here in Southwest Little Rock? Would you pray with us about that? Because we're going to be coming to you to put that faith of yours into action. We need volunteers. We need them all over this place. We need them in the kids. We need them in Roots. We need them, if we do this program, we're going to need volunteers overnight who are willing to say, yeah, it's important enough for me to stay awake all night and man an area where people can rest that I'm willing to do that. It's not an easy job, but we're going to need some of you to do that. See, God is moving us from just comfort, right? 
to what it means to be a Christ follower and be obedient to all that he's asking us to do. Be authentic, to have authenticity in our faith and in our walk with Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we love you. I'm passionate about this topic, Lord, because I've been this person. There's still times in my life, Lord, that I can be tempted to fake it. I can be tempted to uh, want to put on performance or exterior or to want those credit things. Lord, God, I, my heart is still tempted in those ways. And Lord, I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit at times just says, shh. And you're teaching me, Lord, it's not about me. I don't have to impress anybody. I just have to be obedient to you, Lord. I have to just walk out this faith that you've given me in the way that you've told me to do it. And so, God, give us a compassion for the least of these that burdens our souls. Lord, keep us from being able to sleep at night if it means moving us into obedience to you. Lord, burden our souls with obedience to you, God, so that we want to serve you and do what you've asked us to do so that we can have an authentic, real, dynamic faith. God, it's my prayer that this city would not look at South City Church and go, that's, that's a bunch of hypocrites over there. God, when they look here, may they see servants. May they see people who love this community. May they see people who are imperfect but covered by the grace of Jesus, longing to know you more and serve you the way you've asked us to serve. Lord, we need you to move in us. Spirit of the living God, move in us to move us past what we can do to what only you can do. And the only way that'll happen, Lord, is we just continue to be meek, to surrender to your word. We surrender. Help us to do what you've asked us to do. Father, we love you. We give you this time this morning. We thank you for the cross of Jesus that makes it all possible to love you, to serve you, to remember that beautiful story where our redemption lies in Jesus' death, our living hope. In Jesus' precious name, amen.